the book of Esther. The book of Esther. If you don't know where that little book is, it's in the older part of the older covenant, the Old Testament part of your Bible. And if you go to Psalms, come back Job, come back Esther. So it's Esther, Job, Psalms. So it's right there, a little book, the story of Esther and this mighty deliverance of God. So you find that place, you find chapter 3. Uh, we've been on, uh, we've all been on a life journey. We've seen various things in our life, things that have happened that we remember. And when we see things, we're reminded of. There are some things that will suddenly come play, to play in your mind, something that will pop into your thinking to remind you of a, of a person, uh, people, neighbor. Uh, Ed, that's, I'm a little bit loud in my... Are you, are you okay? I feel like I'm a little loud. Am I a little loud? No? Fine? Yes? No? All right. Turn up your hearing aids. Turn them down. Turn them off. I don't care. Okay. I'll go for it, Ed. I'm going to do it, but it's seeing me. Anyway, doesn't matter. Uh, you're going to be reminded of people, a schoolmate, a coach, someone will, that has impacted your life at a spe specific time um, in your life, and you'll remember that. Suddenly you remember, hey, I remember so-and-so, or you see somebody that reminds you. So you have a memory that comes up, or an action, a vacation, maybe a sporting event, maybe some uh, something that happened in your life, and you remember it. It comes up and Oh, yeah, I remember that. Or sometimes it's just an event, your favorite birthday or an award you received or a loss or even a disappointment. You'll have those kind of experience, and we remember those things. But in order to remember uh, things, it will require a review in order to hold on to that memory or the lesson that we learned. And I talked a lot last week about that. I'll refer back to Revelation in a moment. Um, where God told the church, you remember from where you've fallen from. You go back and remember that. And I think in life's journey, we have all this stuff that happens from birth to whatever age you are now, whether it's 10 or 110, whatever those years are, and you remember things. And those, that's your life, and you're remembering those things. And the Bible is full of records designed to be reviewed in order to keep them fresh in your memory. We read those scriptures for instruction, for correction, for uh, things concerning righteousness, how we live, how we can know God better. But a lot of the Bible has in it a record of something to go back and review. The children of Israel, uh, every year, if you go back to the children of Israel, every year they go through um, a passage of the Torah. They read the Torah, five, first five books of the Bible, and every week they divide it up into a section to read and remember. So from the beginning of the year, which basically happens at the Day of Atonement in the fall, and then it begins, and they read through the Torah every year and those five books. So it's a process of readings designed to remember and to go back what happened. In fact, this week, and it's already been referred to, is the celebration of Purim, Purim. Now, in, in the book of Esther is where this comes from. If you go to chapter 3, go down to verse 7. So this will just be a little history lesson for a moment. It says, In the twelfth year of, the, of King Xerxes, in the first month, the month of Nisan, the poor, that is, the lot, was cast in the presence of Hamath to select the day or month, and the lot fell on the twelfth month, the month of Adar. Now, what he was doing is sort of rattling the, uh, the dice it's the casting of a lot to discover what day we're going to kill all the Jews. That's what it was about, the poor, the, the casting of the lot. So we get Purim, which is 
meaning the casting of lots. That was the, the issue here in the book of Esther. Haman wanted to destroy and kill every Jewish person, which is why it's remembered. Now go back to, go to chapter 9, because this is after the victory and everything. But I want you to see in verse 20. Um, well, let me go back to, um, let's, let's just go to verse 20, uh, 26, 926. Therefore, these days were called Purim from the word Pur. Because of everything written in this letter, and because of what they had seen and what had happened to them, the Jews took it on themselves to establish the custom that they and their descendants and all who joined them should, without fail, observe these two days every year in the way prescribed and at the time appointed. These days should be remembered and observed in every generation by every family and in every province and in every city. And these days of Purim should not fail to be celebrated by the Jews, nor should the memory of those days die out among their descendants. <coughs> so the memorying, uh, remembering of this is to be observed, is to be celebrated, and it, it should not die out from generation to generation, which has been several thousand years ago. When this happened, and they continued to celebrate this, which is they're going to do this week. David Nekrupman, who is a rabbi in Israel, I heard him just the other day, a little portion. He was talking about the Asbury revival and how significant that was from his perspective. But he said this. He said, the book of Esther is the hidden hand of God revealed. Underneath the whole book of Esther is that God's hand can be seen even though his name is not God's name is not mentioned in the entire book. It's a wonderful book to study. We'll talk maybe a little bit more about it on Wednesday if you would come to that. But anyway, it was for the purpose of remembering so that every generation following would remember that they were delivered from annihilation by, uh, by the hand of God underneath, and Esther was a part of that. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Again, as my normal pattern, I'm going to be all over the Bible. <laughs> so I want you to follow it or write it down, one or the other, so that we can keep up with this. Paul, again, writes to a church, and he said, Church, I need you to take note of some things for your growth, for your maturity, for your victory, for your life. Now, he starts in chapter 10, verse 1. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses and the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Verse 6. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them 
as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. I want to repeat that phrase. I'm going to refer to it later. If you think you're standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. For no temptation has overtaken you except is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also make a way out so that you can endure it. Examples, their actions, we read of them, we see them, we analyze them, we remember the warnings. He said, see the example. Don't let this leave your thinking. Be reminded of this to keep us from evil, that we don't fall into worshiping other things. We don't commit sexual immorality. We don't test God. And be careful that you don't fall. Now I'm going to refer back to Revelation, which we talked about last week. Revelation 2, verse 5, and you can uh, go there if you'd like to, but it, uh, let me just quote it. Remember from whence you have fallen. Repent and do the first works. The verse before that is said, this I have against you. You have left your first love. You have left the passion that you had for God. You left your, your fiery zeal for the things of God. You've left that. You've fallen from that. Now you remember where you came from and see how fall, far you have fallen. Now, I'm pretty, I, I hope I'm practical. I think I am. I want to see things removed from the realm of theories and, and uh, philosophies or just words out there. I want to bring it down to where we live. And I think the scripture is very clear about that. That what happens when we forget? What happens when we fall? What happens when we fail to walk in the things that God has brought us into? Salvation for walking in faith, walking in the Holy Spirit. Go to uh, Judges chapter 2. Now back to the Old Testament. You go to uh, Joshua, Judges. Because you go Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. First book of uh, Joshua, then Judges, chapter 2, chapter 2. The consequences of a failure to remember what God had done is outlined in this passage. They had come out of Egypt. They had crossed into the promised land. Joshua is now their leader. They had taken the land. They had distributed uh, well, let me read it. Look down at um, uh, verse 6. After Joshua dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. So now uh, Israel is now put into their places. They have all the tribes mapped out. They, they're in their cities. They have their flocks. They have their crops. They're doing, they're living there, and they did serve the Lord. Verse 8, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath Ares in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaz. Now here's the scripture. Verse 10, after that whole generation had gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. 
there came a generation who didn't know God and didn't know what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreth. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them, who sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he swore to them, and they were in great distress. Now, the book of Judges continues on how God raised up someone to bring them back. Remember, come back. And they did. They repented, they came back, and then they again forgot and fell back into sin and bondage. In Isaiah 17, 10, it said, you have forsaken me. You have forgotten that I am your God. You see, memories must be maintained and cultivated if they remain vital in our hearts and our minds, which is why the communion, the Lord's table, is so important because we're remembering back to what Jesus Christ has done for us. The memories that cause things to happen, we have memories. Romans, uh, Revelation 2, remember where you've come from. Now, our grandchildren um, have different assignments throughout their elementary years, and many of them are still in that. And uh, one of our uh, granddaughters sent us a, an email, Judy and me, and said, uh, could you tell us what I need? I have an assignment. Could you tell us what it was like in the 50s? So I said, sure, we can do that. So Judy and I talked, and we talked about music and, and um, uh, ducktails for guys and T-shirts and, and culture and family and all that kind of stuff. Until, and I said, we sent her all these things we remembered from the 50s. Leave it to Beaver, you know, all of them. You know, we just did that. And then I remember, wait a minute. In 1955, right in the middle of this decade she wants, I was only six years old. What do I remember? And then, and then I wasn't 10 until 59. So from my 10 years down, she asked me to remember everything. All I remembered is I want to eat and I want to play. I don't want to go to school. That's all I remember. But then I, I did, when I was a teenager, I could look back and see what life was at that time. And we, I think she got a good grade on it, or at least she should have. Anyway, the other night, Judy and I were watching PBS and saw this program called Finding Your Roots. And it's quite interesting to go back and they'll take a, a person, famous person, to go back and try to track down where they came from. Some go back to the 17, 1600s with their family tree and others stop at a certain age. But this one character, this one individual said, I have never heard of this. I didn't know that these were, this happened to one of my ancestors. We have forgotten that story I've got to run home and tell my children and siblings, do you know that this happened? And it was that feeling of sin. I've got to go back and remember these things, to remember it. If I don't do it, it'll be lost forever. Someone wrote a long number of years ago, it says Christianity is one generation from extinction. Meaning this, is if we don't share our faith, if we don't pass it on to the next generation, if it isn't something that's so vital and part of my life that it is impacted and 
impacting my life and my family's life and my children's life and my grandchildren's life. If there's something that's not happening in my neighborhood and so forth, the gospel will be forgotten. Except that God, but God. God will see to it that he will raise up a generation. He'll raise up a remnant that will declare his praises. That's what he said he wanted to do with Israel. Israel, I've chosen you so that through you, the world's going to know that I'm God. So church, this morning for all of us, in the memory of communion, memory of our life, and memory of who we are and what God has done for us, we must not forget and we must pass it on. I mean, the grandkids, again, they, they get all whipped up in this. I don't know who it does, but they'll call. Grandma, what did Dad do when he was in third grade? I think they're looking for ammunition. <laughs> you know, I'm getting after you, Dad. And, uh, and they call, and we can remember some things. Well, what was it like for, you know? But the spiritual end of that has to take place as well. Let me tell you what life was like before Jesus. Let me tell you that the redemption of God came and rescued us. Pass it on. Tell others about Jesus. And what he said, remember from where you have fallen. Points back to a time or a different place or a different time. When you go back and remember, it points to a specific moment or experience. And John writing to the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, he recounts Jesus' words. These were Jesus' words. You have fallen from a high and lofty place. You got so busy with religion that you forgot that when you fall from this place, it is not just a stumble. It is a downward plummet, is the word, that causes one to tragically crash. You see, there's danger in us getting so uh, full of ourselves that we can just think, okay, I'm fine. Remember 1 Corinthians 10, he that thinks he stands, take heed lest he falls. That thinking he stand, the word to think that we stand, think means to be of the opinion, to suppose, to think about ourselves. It's a self-imposed opinion of um, oneself that he's standing strong and firm. Take heed. Be careful. Let me tell you something. We have outside of us the enemy who's continually attacking us, trying to destroy God's church, trying to destroy the belief in the truth of a creator God who makes bees, he makes stars, he makes trees, he makes the animals, he makes you, he makes me. We're away from that. They're attacking that. Say, you don't come like that. And I'm here to tell you that that's how I came, by a creator God that made me and he made you as male and female. I'll go that far, and I'm going to stand on it, that there's only two, male and female. Now, right now, YouTube is going to scrub that and kick me off, but I don't care because the Bible is the truth of the Word of God. Now, the enemy wants to take that away, wants to come against that. They wants to attack us. So how am I going to stand? I cannot be smug in my attitude and say, hey, I'm okay. I know that we got all that stuff. I am not okay. If I buy into the world around me and begin to let the enemy chip away on my life. You see, the enemy wants to come at us, but also my own heart, my own flesh, the pride of my own heart. God resists the proud, gives grace to humble people. But when my heart gets smug, that attitude 
will deceive you and me. Romans 12, 3 says, we're thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. You know, that's, uh, Jesus told the, the parable of the rich man and the publican who went into the temple to give sacrifice. And the one brought their offering in, religious person brought it in and said, well, here it is. I thank you that I'm not like him over there. What's him over there doing? Him is on his face crying out, have mercy on me, oh God. Church, you can't get far from that humble position. It's all about he's given everything to me. I give everything to him. He gives everything to me. We sang it loud and long. But what about that? Is that humility that comes? Proverbs 16, 2 said, All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Proverbs 16, 2. You see, your flesh and mine is always prone to uh, keep things hidden, always self-congratulatory, to excuse ourselves from our own failures and weaknesses. You know, I was confronted about that the other day. I was uh, having a good discussion with my wife. <clears throat> it was a very good discussion. But I, what I found myself was excusing everything that just happened. Yeah, but, but you know, but, you know, that, but, you know, but anybody use that tactic? Let me tell you something. That never works. You're always guilty. So give it up. Own it. You know, what I did was wrong. I'm sorry. What I did was inappropriate. I'm sorry. What I did was wrong. Please forgive me. Why is that? It's just in there. To justify and say, well, I'm not all that bad. That Pharisee spirit comes up and says, well, I'm not bad like you or them or whoever I can point at. It's humility before God coming. I want to remember what it came back to that I was a lost sinner and needed a Savior. But let me assure you of this. Jesus sees it all. Hebrews chapter 4, 13. We don't need to turn there. It says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Everything. You know, when I was a young guy, they used to talk about what it was going to be like at the judgment seat of Christ where all of our works are known and we're judged. And uh, this was just when video was all coming in, uh, you know, like last year or whatever came in. And I imagine just sitting before or standing before God or on my face before God and everything I ever did was on the screen. Everything. Everything. Every thought, every action, every behavior, and all you are looking at it. But then it's your turn and we look at you. <laughs> I'm not bad like that. Wow, they were really bad. No. You see, there, he sees it all. And he's gonna bring, we're going to give account to him who sees it all. But praise God for redemption and forgiveness and washing us clean from that. I'm a new creature in Christ. Everything is seen. And none, no part of my PR, public relationship, is going to do anything. It's not Jesus' view of me. Present myself in a certain way in a certain group of people. Try to present myself in different places. Which church, please, men and women alike, please don't live any different than you want to live right now here in sitting in this building listening to the things of God. Please don't try to now put on a, another act at work. 
another position at home. Don't do that. Be who you desire to be in Jesus Christ. He sees it anyway. The Ephesian church had a great reputation, seemingly did all the right things, but the routine of life and schedule overgrew and covered the lack of first love. Broke relationship with God. Zeal for God passed away. If you're a disciple of Jesus, does your looking back to first love, does that demonstrate that you are becoming a new creature in Christ? Years ago, we had a speaker at the beginning of the year. I forget what year. I even forget who it was that came. But what I don't forget is that he told everyone on a piece of paper, write down the area of your life that you want to see God change in you. And he said, in 12 months, pull it out again and see how you're doing. And I do remember a couple things that I had put down. And I thought, you know, I don't want to be the same as I was last year. I want to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. I want to, to become more like Jesus. Am I doing that in what area? It was a good challenge for me. Skip Moen, he's a Hebrew uh, writer about things. He said, it's by one's actions that the true nature of the heart is revealed. In, in the Hebrew language, it is not possible to have faith in your heart, but not in your hands and feet. Not in your heart. If you, it's impossible to have it here if it's not working out in what you do. It's the Lord. It's got to be my life. Remembering causes us to rev review our journey from birth to now. I want to cover just a couple of things, and I'll pick, probably pick this up next week. But we're in a journey, and in the reading of Torah, of the Torah throughout the year, I said this earlier, the chapters have been divided into portions. They're called a parsha. So every uh, Shabbat, Friday night, Shabbat through uh, the Sabbath day, Saturday, and then they will read this passage and portion of Scripture until they cover all the first five books of the Bible. Well, a number of years ago, I was given the privilege to give a Christian perspective on one of the Parshas. And I keep coming back to it because it talks about Israel's journey in life. And we read in 1 Corinthians things they had done. We read in Judges things they had done. But in the book of Numbers, I'm going to ask you to go there very quickly, Numbers chapter 30, the book of Numbers chapter 30. This is the first portion. It's called the Parsha Matot, M-A-T-O-T, Matot, which the Parsha names are brought into the first word of the, of the chapter or the passage or the section. So in Numbers 30, verse 1, it said, Moses said to the heads of the tribes of Israel. Now, in Hebrew, this would say, to the tribes of Israel, Moses spoke. So the first word, the first major word in the section of Scripture would be tribes. So matot would mean the tribes. Now, that would go to, 30 to, ver to the end of chapter 33. So that would be your passage for the one week. Now, go to, are you still with me? I'm, doing, I'm teaching now. This is information. I'm gonna, there's a point to it. So verse 30, I mean chapter 30, here's the next portion. And in Hebrew, this is Masai, M-A-S-S-E-I, Masai. Verse 1 said, 
these are the stages in the journey of the Israelites when they came out of Egypt by divisions under the leadership of Moses and Aaron. The major word here is stages in the journey. The journey is really the one that comes in Hebrew, journey. So it can be described that this was the journey of the tribes. This was their journey, chapter 30 to the uh, end of chapter 36, verse 13, or 36, 13. And every couple years, those two are combined as one Parsha. Now, I want to look at chapter 33 and verse 2. 33, 2. I'll start at 1 and read down to it. And here are the stages in the journey of the Israelites when they came out of Egypt by divisions under the leadership of Moses and Aaron. Verse 2. At the Lord's command, Moses recorded the stages in their journey. This is their journey by stages. Now, in language, you can see that there's a flipping around of words. The first part, stages in their journey. The second part, journey by stages. Now, these things aren't accidental. God does things and he says certain things by the Holy Spirit, inspired word of God, that there's a reason for that. And this section is going to describe 42. Uh, you can look down at your Bible and you can look at all those words that none of us can pronounce. All these cities down here, they're just listed all the way down through this chapter. In the 40 years of their journey, Israel stopped in 42 different places. 42 places in 40 years. And there are lessons in the journey, but I want to point out to each of these places, God did something. And each of the places where God led them, he did something. Revelation 2, 5, he said, remember and do the things you did at the first. So throughout Israel's generation, every year, they are being reminded of the journey. But please note, verse 2, at the Lord's command, Moses recorded it. In other words, God said, this is so important that I am telling you, Moses, I want you to record all the places. This is your journey. This is where you've been. Why? So they could go back and remember lessons that God taught them. If I could command you, I can. I'm not the Lord, and I wouldn't put that on you. But if you would just do a diagram or a chart to see every place you come from, from your birth to present tense right now. If you just do, where did we live? When did I get a new brother or sister? When my dad got a new job? When mom uh, baked my birthday? You, all the things that you go down and you can say, what did I learn back here? Well, I learned when I got older that I should have done better in high school. I should have done better in high school. So I learned that. So every event you have in your life, God says to Israel, God said to the church in Ephesus, you remember what you did at the first. So they're re being reminded here. Each of these places, God did something. Several years ago, Judy and I uh, were talking about her life. I, I have, my parent, parent now, mom, still lives in the place where when they were first married, they built a house, and they're still there. So I can say I never really moved until I left home and began to move all over the place. But at that time, same place. Well, Judy doesn't have the same story. She moved a lot of places. And a couple of years ago, we got on Google Maps and Google Earth, and we searched out to see if we could see the places where she lived for a short time, a longer time, where those places were. 
started what we did. We started in Montana, went down to California, down to, Fres down to Fresno, Pasadena, and Daly City and Millbrae and blah, blah, all, all these other places where she lived. And, and then pass that on to the other family members. And the other day, I was thinking about this, about journeys and places where they were. And I said, Judy, where did your mom and dad live when you were born in Seattle? She said, how would I know? I was just born. <laughs> okay, let's ask the older brother, where did they live? And so it was yesterday. They got on the phone. They looked up. Oh, they lived here. They lived over here in that church because her dad was a pastor. They lived over there. They were over here. They went to King's College in Seattle. They lived over here. Then they went to Mayberry, not Mayberry, uh, what is it called? Mayville, North Dakota, <laughs> not, not Mary. They didn't know Andy Griffiths at all. But anyway, it's, it's Mayville, North Dakota. And all those places Judy hadn't been. So, But here's the interesting thing. When you go back and begin to remember things, things show up. Uncle Ron says, I remember when we lived in this building because it had a long hallway, and I remember taking my scooter and my little thing up and down the hallway. See what happened. Something happened there, remembered. He also said this, and many of you can relate to something like that. I would come home from school. I was in elementary school, come home, and mom is ironing clothes, crying her heart out because of a loss that they'd experienced. You see, we have memories. We have things that God says, I need you to go back and see what God has done. The places we're going to stir up your memories, not just remembering your bicycle or the pet dog you had at that time. But as I said before, the remembrance at the Lord's table, the remembrance that the believers in Ephesus were called to remember. The love you had at the first, the perspective. I want to give you one, one last thing about perspective. Why does it say Moses recorded the stages in their journey? This is their journey by stages. And I'll reference Rabbi Eli Scheller, who gives his perspective on this. Why is the order reversed, going forth every day and journeying by stages? He writes, the beginning of these verses, that part that says the stages in their journey, expresses how God regarded their travels. Whenever God wanted them to go forth, he wanted them to progress to the next step in his plan, the journey to their destiny. Every step was custom made, tailored to help them towards their goal. Every place comes, came with challenges developing the nation's character. So the first part is this is God said, I want you to see how you went from this stage then to the next place in their journey, stages to journeys. The second part looks at the traveling from the nation's point of view. The people saw things differently. It is our human nature for us to think that would be, we would be much more much happier and more productive if only we were somewhere else. They would have simply gone forth hoping it'd be a better place on their next destination, hoping it had more to offer, not because they were thinking of reaching their purpose, it was the if only's. So you can read this passage in two ways, and I want to read it the first way that God had something to say about their journey, and I'll talk about that last week. But for us, we look at things and say, boy, am I glad I left there hoping that I would get to this. Some of you are thinking, we got to move here. Why? Because this will be better. God said, no, back that up. I have something to accomplish in you right now, 
right where I'm working in your life. And when that is accomplished, we're going to move to the next thing. So God has a perspective. And we have to remember that God knows you and every part of your journey. He cares for you. He loves you. And I would say to Suffield as John gave the words of Jesus to the church at Ephesus, remember where you fell from. Go back. Repent. Turn back and do the things that you did at first. My prayer is that we would all be revived in that, renewed in the remembering that God would say, you know, God, you were so good to me. You've been so faithful, and I want to go back to that. I want to go back to that zeal I had where I couldn't keep my mouth shut about you, where I couldn't help but help people. I couldn't help but give joy to people. I couldn't help but encourage. But after you do it along, ah, it's, it's what you use. No, no, no. God's calling us in this hour, in this day, right now to remember and say, Jesus, you've done it all. All to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson saint. His blood has washed me white as snow. I can carry it on. Worship him. I'm going to ask you to come, and we're going to sing a song that is maybe an unusual conclusion song, but it says this, over the mountains and the sea, the river runs with love for me. What does that speak of? We're talking about a journey. I could sing of his love forever. Would you buy into that today and say, Lord, I want to sing forever for you, whatever I do. Amen. Let's stand and sing as they prepare. Father God, give us sharp memories. Some are very bad, and we need to bring them again to the cross, but you are our deliverer, and you can redeem those things, and you can set those things aside, and you can cast them into the deepest sea and remember them no more. Thank you for that, Lord, and today we stand before you and say, Lord, we thank you. We bless your name. What an awesome God you are. Let's sing together. Over the mountains.